Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Welcome, everyone, to episode 16 of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. We're calling this one Aligning Interests Through Equity Structures. You know we've been talking a lot about equity in the last probably 60 days or so, and this builds upon a lot of the principles that you've learned in those prior episodes. And to make it even better, I'm gonna be joined by my partner, DeWalker Sinha, on the podcast today. That's right, we got the little guy behind the big microphone and he'll share some big ideas with with us. It's sure to be another note-taking episode, so get your pad and pen ready, maybe a little popcorn as well, and brew another cup of that awful Keurig coffee. We're ready to rock and roll on the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. Once again, thanks to everybody for joining us on the podcast today. This is Perrin Desports, and I am your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. And once again, behind the mic, been a little while since we had the big man on the show, but DeWalker Sinha is going to be joining me for today's topic. And some say that he's not on Facebook or YouTube because he frequently conflates the two and refers to them as you face. DeWalker, is that actually true? (laughs) I can neither confirm or deny that. That's a that's a common refrain you've been uh, um, uh, saying when uh, whenever I point blank you on some of these introductions. Nonetheless, it's good to have you back behind the microphone. And today is going to be another podcast installment around the subject matter of equity. For those who've been listening to the podcast for the last probably six weeks or so, you know that we've talked a lot about equity and we're continuing to talk a lot about equity because it truly is your most valuable currency as a business owner. We talked about associate and executive equity. You heard us unpack restricted stock units and profits interest units in prior episodes. And we're talking really more now about aligning interests through equity structures, mergers, acquisitions, partnerships, cap table management, all that kind of good stuff. And frankly, this is a significant departure from the way that a lot of small business owners think about their equity. There's a lot more cards to play when it comes to equity if done correctly. And this has been a a topic that I know that DeWalker and I are both very passionate about Um, but certainly one that I've been looking forward to in in this dialogue that we'll have together today. So, DeWalker, why don't I let you take it from the top here, and and maybe let's just take like that 30,000-foot level, if you will, and and talk a little bit about equity structures, alignment, some of the things that you're seeing with your clients, and really the way that you think about equity and and, uh, the the top-down approach to it. Sure. So, I think... uh... Uh, when you look at equity for your current business, and this is for current partners or looking to bring in partners, 
I think um, when you bring in doctor partners or any kind of partner with you, I think you are aligning vision a lot in the fact that uh, you're making sure or ideally making sure in that process of, of, of creating a partnership that, you know, all parties have the same vision of where we want the business to be in five years or 10 years or some level of a buy-in. Now, uh, a lot of times our principals are the key visionaries. They're the key leaders of the business. They might be today the 100% owner, or you might be 50-50 in a partnership, and you might be thinking of bringing uh, another party into a partnership. Um, and it's indifferent if they're going to be a half a percent partner, or 1% partner, or a 50% partner. I think uh, uh, alignment and vision of where the business should be and you want it to be should be uh, uh, fairly important. Uh, beyond that, I think uh, when you bring in a partner or, or have a partnership, um, you know, getting that person to be vested with you through the thick and thin. I, I focused that a little bit because any partnership that was in the business, or if you were a sole owner of a business in 2020, you know, having a partner with you, or you might have said, "Hey, maybe I want a partner with me to help me through some of these issues." Uh, that probably brought things to bear on what a good partnership is. Um, and in a good partnership, you want to be able to leverage those team members that are not only your employees or partner, you know, but are also potentially your partners to focus on issues that you may not be good at, or you may want somebody else to focus on because they're better at it. Um, you know, Perry, you've talked about the, the book from, you know, Dan Sullivan, the self-managing company. And you know, that, I think that's, that book is something that resonates with me a lot. So really focusing on what you're good at and what you're passionate about and having a partnership and, you know, uh, having people that have different skill sets in a partnership and having an equity plan that rewards the partners in that partnership with the end outcome in that undefined period of three to five years, it's it's really impactful because you, know, you can all work on what you're good at together to grow the company together. Yeah, I, I would echo those comments. And I think that for our audience out there, they're you know, they're, we like to call doctor-founded and debt-funded group practices. So our core audience is the pre-private equity group practice. Uh, and they're all in some different phase of growth overall. And they're probably um, significantly different in terms of the way we slice and dice the ownership of those groups. What you're going to find for those in the audience is that there is going to come an opportunity to either recruit top-tier executive talent, not just clinical talent, but executive leadership into the business. And that's going to probably require some equity-based opportunity um, and further alignment of vision between the founder or founders and the executives like COO or CFO that join the group. But there's also the opportunity to really start to think about the local marketplace in a much more dynamic way. Uh, DeWalker, I, I feel like so many of the group practices that that we work with and converse with are, are in a way, playing small ball. And, and by that, I mean, they think about their growth strategy from a linear context. They think about um, talking to uh, dentists in their local marketplace who are all uh, 62, 63 years old, and they're, they're going to be retiring imminently. And they want to buy those practices from uh, somebody who's close to retirement. Um, and there could be a reason for that. There could be a, a legitimate reason for that. And it could be the right reason to do it. 
but I think you're, you're putting a limitation on yourself and your business if you do that. And, and you're hunting in the same um, uh, segment of the market that everybody else is. And, and it's a hyper-competitive market, furthermore. So I think the first thing is, as we, we talk about aligning interests through equity structures, and in a prior podcast, I talked about the opportunities for mergers specifically, um, there is the opportunity to converse with a different segment of dentists in the local marketplace that could be younger or mid-career, as I like to throw a blanket over them, people who are not looking to retire, um, or they could be specialists or, or a specialty group even. And you may find that those types of candidates are a perfect complement to the business that you're trying to build and a combined or merged equity arrangement is one whereby you can you can do the one plus one equals three outcome. You can create a business that's bigger than the sum of its two parts. And at that point, you're really starting to play a different type of a game. And I'll tell you that this is what we see a lot of from enterprise level DSOs. Enterprise level DSOs are are looking to use the equity that they have built and the value of that equity as currency. You hear us talk a lot about a concept called an equity role. If you want to sell your business and you want to take some amount in cash and then you want to to roll the remaining value of the business into the parent company or something called the second bite of the apple, that's an equity role. There's no reason that our core clients, doctor founded and debt funded, could not or should not do the same thing. So DeWalker, let me pass the baton back to you and maybe you can unpack for the audience a little bit about what you've either seen with your clients or in some of the M&A work uh, that you're now doing for Polaris in terms of some of those equity structures and some of the things to think about uh, as our clients are contemplating uh, mergers or acquisitions with an equity role piece of it. Yeah, so I think uh, as you know, you are an emerging group at two locations or uh, have some auto platform at 10 locations, uh, I think traditionally people tend to look at talking to the local brokers in the space or just looking at retiring doctors to aggregate the market and nothing wrong with looking at those things. And um, I'll focus on the structure on that here in a bit on how to you know, protect those investments that you may make on the later stage doctor that's looking to transition. Uh, but you know, to your point, if we want to move uh, earlier in the process to a mid-career doctor, you know, 40 to 55 years old, um, I think step one to think about is that sales process and that sales funnel just needs to be really broad. So you need to have multiple at-bats. And I think that's, that may be difficult for uh, some of our emerging group doctors that are four days a week clinical. Um, and for that, I would say, okay, four days a week clinical, let's look at that fifth day. That may be a day that's off to say, okay, how can we make that a productive admin day and uh, a growth strategy day and, and really invest into the business development of that? Um, you know, you may not have 500 locations and a full business development team that can help you execute on that strategy, but how can you, can you focus on those things? And so when I say a broad funnel, I, I think as you start the process and are looking to talk to more 
uh, mid-career doctors, it's okay to understand that you're going to probably get more no's than yes. That's just the sales process. You know, some doctors are going to say, I'm not ready to do it. They might have thought having a partner, a bigger group might be uh, something that they want. The valuation might not be there. You may not think that that doctor is a good partner. The negotiations don't come to fruition. And those are things that happen as part of the normal sales cycle in any merger. Uh, and the bigger groups are the enterprise level groups are just set up very well for it because they'll have a full business development team. And they know that if they want to close on 20 transactions a year, they probably have to look at 60 to 80, if not more transactions that year. Because on that 60 to 80, they might issue LOIs on 40 of them. And then half of them, they may not win for various reasons. And they come to a number of 20. So looking at that same process, again, a sales process, if you want to close on one deal in 2022 or two deals in 2022, how many people are you talking to that are mid-career? Let's forget about the exiting doctors and the brokers that are that might have representing those deals. How many mid-career doctors are you talking to? That, that process needs to be, at any given time, uh, active, six to 10 doctors. And some of it is just farming. You know, It's not a right time today. Maybe it's the right time in six months or a year. So we need to be uh, cognizant of those aspects that timing is sometimes everything. Um, the M&A market's really active right now, partially because of the tax changes coming up, partially because people came out of COVID and are looking for a partner. So that's driving some momentum in that aspect. So timing does play uh, some aspect in a transaction um, or deal flow improving. Um, so think about where that look, uh, starts off. Secondarily, once you have active conversations, really start to focus on you know, how can you, you know, look at a partner doctor and roll some equity in. And that's very standard for enterprise level groups, you know, a enterprise uh, equity role, a earn out provision. These are all standard things, um, especially if you're gonna be paying for a premium valuation. Now, if you're looking to pay 70% of revenue, you typically don't see those things, but you start to get to a, anything above a 4X valuation, start to get to a 5X, 6X valuation, and multiple EBITDA. You know, those are things we're helping uh, client structure on our side, Perrin, now, that's, those are some of our emerging groups. Uh, and then on these, you know, sell side, when we're representing clients to go into market, that's absolutely something we see in the space from a, a buy side perspective on what, what that looks like. So think about, you know, um, how to have those conversations or talk to us about how to have those conversations of, you know, you're uh, talking to a mid-career doctor. What does enterprise value need to look like? What does rollover equity need to look like? What does earn us uh, provisions need to look like? Those are things that are very important. Um, and the role of equity really is currency. I think a lot of times people think about, you know, I want to, I don't need, they don't need to roll over equity with me. And they may not need to. And we can talk about that here later. But if they're mid career and they're willing to grow, how can you leverage that and show them the journey of where your business is headed, how they can partner up with you? And for every dollar of equity they roll into your partnership, how that dollar could be worth $2 or $3 in that undefined period of three years, five years, 10 years. And I think that's, that's something that the enterprise level groups do very well. And I would highly encourage you know, the emerging group space to start really investing time to understanding what that is and how to structure the deals, how to structure deal volume flow to really start to be in their own geographies, the aggregators of the market. 
Yeah, th- those are excellent points. And I want to I want to echo a couple of things here and, and give our audience a few more things to even think about. So so first and foremost, um, what DeWalker just touched on in terms of let's just call it prospecting. All right. If you're going to if you want to add more locations uh, and you're only focused on the imminent to retire type of a seller, um, you're you're not playing in very much of the market at all. That's a shallow pool. It's hyper competitive, and you could end up paying a premium for arguably an underperforming asset. So, if you're going to broaden your uh, horizons and and really expand the scope of the potential businesses that you'd like to uh, bring under your umbrella, and and go toward the mid career dentist, then that's a longer courtship process. It is not a one conversation and done. You don't reach a yes or a no immediately. And there's a lot more selling on your behalf as the business that would be acquiring the uh, the target. Uh, in other words, put yourself in the, the mid-career dentist's shoes for a second. They're happy. They built a good business. Um, they enjoy owning it. They probably make a very good living. So why do they want to be part of your business? What's the difference? Why would they want to give up control? And obviously the the value pitch is that you can help them create something beyond what they've been able to to create on their own. And that takes some courtship. That takes some conversations. That takes um, creating an understanding and really educating them on the, the value that you and your team bring to the table beyond what they have in their core business. Now, if they do that, understandably, they're not going to want to sell the entire business. They're going to want some further upside. So now it's really important for you to look at acquisitions in your growth strategy, not from 100% uh, use, using 100% buyout with all debt funds, but using a partial or a majority buyout some debt funds and some equity role that they have into your business. They'll become a limited partner. There are a lot of other things to consider beyond that. One of which could be, do you want their, do you want their equity to reside, uh, to still reside at a practice level, or do you want it to be at a management company level? What's the difference in valuation and how do you calculate that? It's really important for you to know a true adjusted EBITDA calculation for your current business, as well as a market-based valuation of how that business would value in comparison to one of these targets we're talking about. Um, obviously, it goes without saying that you probably don't want to re- overreach and try to acquire an asset that would be uh, more highly valued than yours and have you be upside down in the cap table. But if your business is of larger EBITDA volume and would value more highly, then the opportunity to use a more highly valued equity on your end versus them rolling into your business can really create a tremendous win for both you and them. And this is the way that enterprise-level DSOs look at acquisitions, especially those where they want the seller to stay on board for an indefinite period of time. So, DeWalker, let's circle back on on a couple of other things to think about and consider in terms of this type of a, a, a growth strategy. We talked about the the seller, the mid career dentist, just to use an example, rolling equity. So the transaction could be 
80% in cash, 20% in equity, or 60-40, something along those lines. But do you want to talk a little bit about uh, maybe some earnout provisions uh, and some escrow um, considerations and things like that, indemnity, et cetera, just maybe at a high, high level to, to give our audience um, a few other things to think about along the way? Sure. Um, yeah, so I think, again, I'm going to kind of, uh, my goal is all of our emerging clients that are, you know, with, with Polaris for Consulting or, you know, are looking at any kind of growth strategy, they really look at the the enterprise level groups and say, okay, what do they do well? And there are some enterprise level groups that do pure acquisitions where they're you know, usually not rolling over equity. Uh, and there's a strategy behind it. But for them to execute that and have a um, acquisition process where they're you know, acquiring 20 to 50 practices per year, um, they are a structuring. Structure matters. And structure allows them to protect their investment, allows them to um, um, make sure the goodwill that they're acquiring is going to transition the way it's supposed to and, and, and allows them to continue to grow in the market. Now, whenever you put in words of a thing is called an earn-out provision or indemnity clause uh, or a performance provision, naturally those things take the, defer some of the risk from you to the seller. So that there is a sales process that goes in or education process that goes in making sure the seller understands what that means to them um, or the broker if there's a third-party advisor uh, that's going to make that deal move forward um, and so but if you don't have those you do have a higher risk when you remove the risk from the seller and you take a hundred percent of the risk that tends to you know um, have may not have as as high level of an execution so we talk to groups, parent all the time where somebody wrote a check for 100% value of the business. And now, you know, 30 days in, six months in, uh, what was advertised or what they thought was going to happen didn't happen. And some of that burden, I do believe, relies on the buyers, right? Because you do have to do the due diligence to make sure that what you're buying, you're getting. And structure you know, tends to, to help you and mitigate that risk. So if you are talking to a, a seller that is represented by a third party or not, I think early in the process, it's important to understand, okay, if this, we can get to this value, you know, the way we structure these deals. And I think it's okay to be forward on these. I think it's, 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 it's not productive to let the attorneys bring the structure in at the last minute and say, now there's going to be an indemnity clause or there's going to be earn out provision. I think it's okay to go early in the process and say, okay, you know, we value businesses at X, Y, Z. We we cut eighty percent or eighty cents on the dollar or seventy cents on the dollar cash at close. We put five or ten cents on the dollar in some kind of indemnity clause. We put another twenty cents on the dollar, or balance twenty cents into an earnout provision, and this is how we do it. Um, and and have that as a process. Now, when you do that, uh, if you, you know from earlier in our conversation, not doing roller equity. Same thing in your process on a pipeline. You're gonna have some sellers that say, "That's I am not risking the value of my life's work on this structure," knowing, and that that would be a reasonable standpoint from their position, okay? Uh, because some some sellers generally don't want to risk that, and for them, from their lens, there is some level of inherent risk. But on your side, as a buyer, you need to be able to go into an acquisition. You know, do your onboarding with your onboarding team, you know, get the recredentialing, make sure there's continuity of providers, continuity of patients, 
And within 90 to 120 days, if we're doing two to four practices a year, be able to move forward and say, I've stabilized my acquisition and I can move to the next. And the way to get there is to be able to mitigate the risk through structure. So in a parent, we talk about this all the time, structure beats price every day. And that's how our clients should be thinking about it. Even if you're paying an extra half a term, a half a multiple of an EBITDA or an extra 30,000 or 100,000, depending on the size of the transaction, it's okay. Structure the deal to mitigate your risks. And if you can do that and you truly have transfer of goodwill where you're not taking on, I hate these or someone else's headache, then you can continue to do what you're passionate about, which is you know, add offices to you know, your platform, provide a better access to care to that community you're aggregating in with your provider of services, better you know, participation in insurance plans, um, provide those team members in those practices uh, better support through the platform you've already built, um, and then you know, move towards the next partner practice or next practice in that space. And, and again, that, all these things come in from structure. I really don't focus much on price. Price needs to be competitive. Price needs to be relative to what the market bears. But I think structure is so much more important. And that's really what's allowing the enterprise level groups to be very successful in this space, that they put a, a, a price as a relative to their overall strategy. Their bigger focus is on deal flow. Hey, if we're going to close one deal, how many deals do you have to have in your sales fund, right? They reverse engineer that very well. And secondarily, they put a lot of emphasis on structure, realizing through their structure, they'll have some attrition from initial sales call to actual closing. Yeah, this is this is great information, DeWalker. Thanks uh, a ton for joining me today and and sharing some of your insights. You know, the I, I really go back to what I said earlier, and that is that the the doctor founded and debt funded space is is so dynamic and so prolific. But we really do try to encourage our clients to, to think bigger and to play a, a bigger, wider ranging type of a game here. Don't play small ball. Don't um, try to, from an equity structure at least, keep it small and keep it all. That's a very limiting approach to the business you're trying to build. And, and it's going to compromise your ability to attract um, uh, people who do share your your similar vision, mission, vision, and values into your business from a, a, an equity standpoint. The last thing I'll say is that these are some fun episodes for me and DeWalker. Uh, and and not to to give you too big of a, a look behind the curtain, but the conversations that we have on the podcast and the information we share with our audience are really the same exact way that we're approaching our business. We're not a group dental practice here at Polaris, to state the obvious. We're a consulting and M&A advisory company. But the principles are the same. The advice and guidance, the counsel that we give our clients and the people in this audience are the same exact way we look at the business we're trying to build and for all the same reasons. And, And if you really take that type of perspective in terms of the business you've built and the value of the equity that you have, you can use it as leverage to, to grow and grow very rapidly. I hope this has landed well with a lot of the audience out there. And, and like I say, this is just yet another installment in about a 90-day uh, theme, if you will, around the subject matter of equity. Um, obviously, 
we try to share this information in hopes that you can find ways to apply it. If you do have questions or comments about any of the subject matter you've heard today or on another episode, feel free to drop me a message directly. You can reach me at Perrin at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. Stick around. We'll be right back with some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. Once again, sincere thanks to my partner, DeWalker Sinha, for joining me on the podcast today. I know we don't get him on, but probably every couple of episodes or so, but he always shares a wealth of information and brings a tremendous amount of experience to the audience. I, I know that you enjoy hearing from him because most of you tell me that. So I'm always uh, thrilled when he does join me on the podcast and we can uh, bat things back and forth and really compare some of our experiences working with so many entrepreneurs who are leading these group practices. Really a a joy to have him with us. Before we wrap things up today, I also wanted to refresh a press release that hopefully many of you have seen by now, and that is to announce a new addition to our team here at Polaris, Chris Yanes. He is going to be joining our data and analytics team as an analyst, and he brings a wealth of experience in the world of banking. Charlotte has obviously a lot of enterprise-level banks, Wells Fargo and Bank of America, to name two of the most prominent names in the local marketplace. Uh, and Chris has tremendous experience when it comes to financial analysis, debt, equity, um, discounted cash flow, and a lot of the other modeling uh, necessities that we look for in terms of a Class A talent to join our team. Um, we're really thrilled to have him aboard. I know he's going to make a real quick impact on our data and analytics team. And he'll be working with Amy Toole, um, our senior associate, in terms of developing some of the models that we use for client interactions here. Many of you recognize what we do for associate equity and strategic consulting and a lot of the the, um, Polaris financial model is based off that backbone uh, that we use for those applications. And Chris will have his hands in all of that stuff. He does not come from the world of healthcare, So he's going to have to learn a little bit about dental, dental terminology, the way dental group dental practices operate. But I know it'll be a fast study, and I'm looking forward to him having some interaction with a number of our clients in the not-too-distant future. So welcome aboard to Chris. On the something new, noteworthy, and cool front, um, I want to send a special shout-out to Dr. Nimesh Patel. Uh, I met Dr. Patel at the Dykema conference a couple of weeks ago out in Denver. Uh, He is as big a coffee addict as I am. And since this podcast has really become more about coffee with dentistry and group dental practices as a sidelight to it, uh, he shared with me uh, something called an Ember coffee mug uh, and talked about how much he loved it and was nice enough to send me one, actually. And it really is a cool uh, device. I had never seen this thing before and, and nobody had ever recommended it to me. It is a, a heated coffee mug that, of course, has an iPhone app. It comes along with it. You can regulate the temperature, but it keeps your coffee uh, hot for up to about an hour and a half. Um, some of you who know me and, and have spent time with me in person know that I always put a, a coffee mug uh, full of water in the microwave 
for about a minute and a half to make the mug hot. There's nothing that annoys me more than getting a hot cup of coffee or some hot coffee poured into a cold mug and having it be tepid after about five minutes because I don't tend to chug coffee as much as I do like it. The Ember mug is super cool. It keeps things at the temperature that you set for a long time. You can really enjoy a great cup of coffee without having to rush through it. So Namesh, thank you so much for that. Very generous of you and great recommendation. And I am uh, surely going to be recommending it to people who I know who uh, enjoy coffee as much as I do. It really is a really is a game changer, and I like it every bit as much as you said I would. So sincere, sincere thanks for your generosity on that. Today was a fun episode. Um, like I say, I really enjoy it when DeWalker joins me on the podcast, and I know that you get a lot out of uh, the episodes that he's on. Uh, I appreciate all of the nice compliments we get on behalf of the podcast. Uh, as well as the ratings that you leave. Uh, And if you do have a chance, please do leave us a rating. They help with uh, the way the shows get promoted and everything like that. If you've got questions or comments and you want to drop me a line directly, you know how to reach me. It's my email address, perrin at polarishealthcarepartners.com. I'll even read or answer them in an upcoming episode. And if you want to find out more about us, if you're a new subscriber, feel free to check out our website at www.polarishealthcarepartners.com. Thanks so much for being a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.